Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Hey, welcome back to the Innovate for Impact podcast. I'm Dan Bentley. Tracy Newman's here as well. Today, we've got a special guest, Khan Nelson. Khan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Happy to be here. Great to have you here. Before we do get into the episode today, just wanted to do an acknowledgement of country. So, I'm on the lands of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, just outside of Melbourne, and I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past, present, and emerging. And I'm here in Adelaide, so I'd like to acknowledge the Ghana as custodians of the Adelaide region and pay my respects also. I'm in Sydney and New South Wales, and I'm on the Gadigal land. Hey, Khan, just to kick us off, you want to tell everybody a bit about who you are and what you do? Thanks, Dan. So, I work for an aged care provider called Widen, and we offer aged care services across a lot of different settings, community care, residential aged care, and independent living. I'm the Executive General Manager of Research and Positive Aging, and within my role, I'm responsible really for looking at how we support well-being for our residents and clients. So, we're constantly looking at new practice, evidence-based principles for enhancing how we deliver our aged care services and offer new types of positive aging programs, including things like creative aging, reablement type programs, so exercise, cognitive reablement, that sort of thing, and generally looking at innovation and and best practice. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I was lucky enough to meet you just over a month ago now in Sydney at the Aged Care Innovators event. Both of us were on a panel together and there were some of the things that you were talking about whilst we're on that panel around co-design and how you've set up this sort of relationship-based care within Widen. And I thought, yeah, it'd be great to get you on the show today to tell us a little bit more about that. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. So, that was probably one of the first things that I worked on when I joined Widen. And when I joined Widen, one of my projects was to really look at developing a new model of care for Widen. In certainly Widen was very committed to supporting well-being and, and nurturing the whole person, but they didn't have any structures in place to actually realize that. So that was sort of my first job. So part of that was developing a new well-being-based model of care, which we call our My Life model of care, which is based on seven well-being outcomes which are all evidence-based and is really about how we holistically support people's emotional, social, physical and health needs. So, as part of that project, one of the, the things that we, or that we needed to look at was how were we actually going to deliver that model of care? And there were a lot of things that were happening already around the organization, lots of good things, but there wasn't really any consistent infrastructure, if you like, around how we did that and how we empowered our people to do that. It was sort of happening instinctively in patches. So, really what we wanted to do was make sure that we had the best of what we were doing doing across everywhere. So, taking that model of care, we then decided that a relationship-based care approach was really what we needed to develop. 
And I actually worked with the University of Sydney on this project as I had, when I first joined, there was a project going on in community care the Dementia Research Collaborative Centre was working with us on. And that was really looking at how you empowered staff to deliver a better quality of care in a more personalised and individualised way and empowered them to build really strong relationships. So we decided that we'd actually take some of the principles from that and adapt it so it could work across both a residential age care setting as well as a community care setting. So I then contacted Professor Lee Fei Lowe and we worked together on this project so that we could take the evidence and make sure that we were developing a program that we would then operationalize, but that would really work in terms of improving the quality of care generally. So relationship-based care as a as a concept is really a partnership-based model. So it's a way of delivering care that's partnership-based and aims to be highly tailored and personalized and is built on relationships. Because if you look at all the evidence, obviously care, you need the right skills and you need staff with the right skills delivering care. But if it's actually the the sort of social side of it, the relationship based side of it that really colors the quality of that care. So if you ask people who are receiving care services whether they believe that those care services are of high quality, they will talk about the relationships that they have with those carers. That's the first thing they talk about. And they talk about how well those carers might know them and how tailored the care is to them. If it isn't, then it doesn't matter how professional that care might be, how well-skilled those care workers might be, but they won't see that as quality care. So we we knew that from the evidence that existed. And so we embarked upon this program. So for the first year, we trialed a program that involved a year's retraining program for staff. It looked at rostering and how we could ensure that we had more continuity of staffing. So in aged care, rostering approaches tend to be based around staff needs. So people that you know can only work a certain number of shifts a week and they may only be able to work at certain times and there wasn't in that at that time much thought around well you know how do, how do you actually roster so that you have a consistent team of staff working around each resident so that was an element that we then we really felt was very important to realizing that relationship based care approach so at widen we developed a more dedicated rostering type model. And so that was a key element. Another key element of the program at that time and and still is, was around how do you empower staff to make personal connection? So we then introduced some new, what we call catalyst processes, more creative type processes that enabled people to understand more about that resident. So we developed this process called All About Me, which is where the staff and that team would would spend time with the resident or client and their family members, really getting to understand what that person did in the past, things that were important to them, the people that were important to them, and putting that together as a sort of one pager type thing, which would have pictures, 
pictures and quotes and all of that, sort of like a, a snapshot of the things that mattered to that person. And that would go in their file or if they were community in community care, we would go on their wall in their room so that any staff member, say it were a casual staff member coming to look after that or care for that person, would be able to start conversations based on what they could see in this All About Me. So it was a catalyst for conversations, for people to get to know that resident and for everyone really to utilize also, as part of personal connection, we developed a buddy system, so what we call a My Life buddy. So every resident and client has a My Life buddy. Buddy is the person who knows them best. It's often part of their team of consistent team of staff that work around them, but doesn't have to be because obviously we connect with people, you know, we're all individuals and we connect with people in very different ways. So sometimes residents or clients would connect really well with someone who wasn't in their care team. It might be the maintenance man, or it might be the manager, or it might be someone in the wellbeing and lifestyle team. So that person would then be their buddy because they were the person they connected best with. And that person we would try and empower to be able to spend time with the resident. Many of them elect to go and spend their breaks and things with their resident buddy or their client buddy so that they can develop those relationships and chat and they form strong personal relationships. And that buddy is also the advocate for that individual. So if they know there's something that is perhaps missing in their care services that would really benefit them, they will go and advocate for that person to win or they might advocate for them or find ways of advocating for them elsewhere, you know, whether it's with the bank or with, you know, the electricity company or something, we find ways to to help. So there's that personal connection element with the buddy and the all about me. And then the other side of that is meaningful activity. And again, through the understanding of that individual, making sure that we support them to do things that that they love, that bring them joy, that have always mattered to them, or perhaps things that they want to do. They may have a certain goal. And so we have this thing we call meaningful moments where the care workers will partner with clients, residents and their family members and and anyone else who knows that resident or client well. And they partner together to come up with a range of things. They can be big, they can be small. We think will be really will really make a difference to the quality of life for that person. So it could be regular social visits with a group of friends that they used to love seeing, or it could be a project, you know, they used to love gardening. So, you know, how, how are we going to help them to establish a garden and something that we can, you know, help help support them to do that every week. Or if they love animals, how how are we going to get a pet in or ensure that they have a lot of access to a pet? And one of my favorite stories is a community care example where we had this client who was Scottish and he had this dream of going back to Scotland and seeing his family. But in his sort of current situation, it was something he, he would never have been able to do on his own. So he discussed this goal as part of this sort of meaningful moments, you know, and, the, and his buddy was trying to find something that she could work on with him. And so they set this as a goal over and above what she was doing for him in terms of personal care and, and other types of support. She helped 
she put his application, she helped him put his application together for his passport. She took it to the post office. She did all the communication with him, with his family. So they would ring, ring the family members up and plan. He wasn't very mobile and he was, he needed quite a lot of exercise to actually get himself up to a physical level where he could travel. So she worked with them on that. They did exercises every time she came in and she had this program of exercises that she had him doing. And basically, they worked towards this goal and he did. He did it. He went on this trip and he saw his family and he came back and she sort of saw him through every step of the way. And to me, that's a fantastic example of how you can see that she was building it in to the care that she was doing. So she was finding a way to also meet this goal over and above the regular things that she would have been doing for that client. And they managed to achieve this thing together. So as I say, it can be big, it can be small. I think that's really exciting. And there were so many things that you talked about there that I really wanted to hear more about. But if we can sort of go right back to one of the first things that you mentioned, and that was the specific training that was provided to enable the team to deliver this relationship based care. I think that's really lovely because what we see is that often people look to hire people that care about others, but they don't always and of course they look for the technical skills but they don't always empower their people through this training around how to deliver care in a new way they just sort of assume that if your heart's in the right place you're going to intuitively know how to have these meaningful conversations so i'd love to hear a little bit more about what were the the main things that you taught your team to be able to really build these new relationships with people? Well, yes. So, we had like, as I say, to begin with, we had this whole year of training where every quarter we'd be talking about different related skills and they would receive training that would have been something they they certainly wouldn't have received when they were doing their certification for aged care. One of the, one of the important modules was around communication and interaction. And obviously, when you're talking about achieving real personal connection with an individual, you have to work around the things that are going to work for that person. So, what we try to do is teach them new skills around communication and interaction. And some of them were verbal and some of them are not verbal. And we're always enhancing this area. So, for example, you know, because this is a journey, it wasn't something we did in one year and then it was perfect. We are still working on this, sometimes reinventing it and enhancing with new programs and new pieces of practice as they come through. So, in the communication side, for example, there's something that we're working with now with the University of Western Sydney to enhance is what we call cognitive scaffolding. So, it's about how do you build on what you know about that person? So, that's your scaffold to really improve communication around them and help them come out of their shell or help them talk about what they really want. Because in reality, we're working with residents and clients up to around 70% of them have some form of memory loss or cognitive impairment. So, it's really important that you enable them and you build a scaffold around them that gives them confidence and and that they can, you know, really enhance that communication between the care worker and the client or the resident. 
So basic things around using open-ended questions, building on stories and storytelling and relating on using their own stories so that they can build that confidence, that rapport and, and elicit those conversations. So you're trying to talk to someone in a way that isn't just a yes, no type of response, but there's always this open-ended, I was doing some gardening yesterday and I thought we would do this and, you know, and that sort of, you know, you're building a story around how you communicate. So, those types of soft skills around communication, which, yes, they're evidence-based and and a lot of us know those skills intuitively, but not everyone would utilize them and possibly not when you're delivering care. The other side is the non-verbal. So, we also taught techniques and strategies around that. So, if you know that someone loves a particular type of music that you would would put that music on, you'd have that playing, you might sing together with the client or the resident and you're getting them to feel comfortable at ease and and helping them possibly to overcome times when they might be feeling a bit down, they've withdrawn or they're finding it difficult to accept some of the services that you might be delivering for them because it might be, they might be feeling uncomfortable, unhappy or whatever. So, you know, really utilizing everything you know about that person to work with them. You know, like dance, if you know that that person loves dancing, then having the freedom to go and do something like that with them, dance with them or joke with them or whatever. And, and obviously not everyone is comfortable doing those things. And we found that some, some of our care workers re-engage with that or can engage with parts of it. And that's really what those skills are about, empowering them to try these things out, find out what works for them and their residents and clients so that they partner together. Because really, it's about that partnership and that relationship. But we need to give them those skills and say to them, we want you to use these because it's really, this side of it is so important and it will improve the quality of the care you're delivering if you utilize a range of different ways of communicating and interacting. Yeah, I love that story that you shared before around the, the gentleman who wanted to go back to Scotland. I just think what an amazing purpose in that part of your life to be working towards that with somebody. It's a real reason to get up every morning and do your exercise, you know, it sort of gives you that motivation to to do the things that you know that are probably good for you, but can sometimes, as we know, be trickier as you get older to sort of keep going. Do you have any other examples like that around some of the results that this type of model of, of care has produced? We get quite sneaky. So, there <laughs> Because what we know, obviously, about people who we're caring for who might be, you know, they're in their 80s, a lot of them are quite sedentary. And if you don't use it, you lose it. So, one of the skills that we included in the training program, and again, we're building on now as well and enhancing, is how do you increase incidental exercise? So, really, that skilling up staff to use, there's an evidence-based program developed by a lady called Lindy Clemson, and it's about how you build incidental exercise into everything that you do. So, how you get out of a chair, how you put the kettle on, what you do in the kitchen and whatever. And so, so we skill up staff to use those principles to ensure that they're actually getting as much incidental exercise as we can build into their day. So they don't even know they're doing it. And it's so important for their health and for their mobility and maintaining their mobility. Also making things fun. 
having different ways of exercising where they don't really know that they're doing it because you're building in other things around it, making it fun. So that incidental exercise was pretty important because one of the major things that sort of risk factors for people as they get older are falls. Basically, you, you become more at risk for falling if you lose your strength and your balance, and that really affects your mobility. So sneaking in ways of exercising that improve that strength and balance, not just through programs, but through that sort of incidental way of doing things is really important to their well-being and their future well-being because obviously you want to really try and reduce that risk of them falling as much as possible. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. One of the other things that we hear a lot about in, in the media and what have you around aged care is the challenge around finding people to work in aged care. So you've mentioned that you've got a focus on making movement fun and having a focus on the relationships-based care where people get to build re- relationships with the people that they are caring for and supporting. Combined with the changes around the rostering, have you seen any impacts on your ability to, I guess, attract really great people to work inside Widen? And and what about your sort of retention of the team? It's a very good question, particularly now where the whole industry is experiencing staff shortages. So what we find from relationship-based care is it does really help us retain staff. So, you know, we've done a lot of work on our employee value proposition, for example, and talked to a lot of our staff around the things that really resonate with them around working at at Widden. And they all talk about that relationship-based care approach, about being enabled and empowered to build those relationships, to get that recognition from clients and residents because that really is so important to them because let's face it, it is work that has a lot of demands around it and getting those relationships and getting that recognition from clients and residents really helps relieve stress and it helps make everything worthwhile. So what we hear from staff is that it makes their work much more rewarding and we definitely believe that it helps retain the staff that we want to retain because really it's those staff with those values that you retain. And so that's really important. It helps us attract people with the right values because again, we have quite a strong reputation, I think, around having quite a progressive approach, always looking at new things and new programs and this strength around relationship-based care. So it helps attract people who are interested in working in that type of environment. And basically, that sort of values-based recruitment is is really important because we need those people. You can teach skills, but if you haven't got people with those aligned values, it's very difficult to teach them to want to develop and utilize that relationship-based approach. So I think we have low turnover rates compared to the rest of the industry, and we are pretty convinced that it's down to you know good management of our people and the rewarding work, and that's what they tell us. 
And they also tell us that they really like the supportive culture and teamwork that comes with that relationship-based approach. Because it's not just about a resident or client to, to care worker. It's also about care worker to care worker because you can't deliver that type of care if you're not working together well as a team. So it, we know from the evaluation that we did that it really improved teamwork, it improved job satisfaction, it relieved a lot of stress because what we knew before when we were looking into the things that we needed to improve around job satisfaction was that staff would tell us that there was a lot of stress involved around handover. So when you hand over from one shift to another and you know that, for example, that resident or that client is perhaps something's happening with them. Maybe they're sick. You can see that something's going on. They're not happy or you can see they're sickening for something. You can't really put your finger on it, but you need someone to keep an eye on it. And so they would say they would go home, they would talk about this handover to the next shift, but they would then worry that it wouldn't be acted upon and people wouldn't do something about it. But with this approach, uh, you've got your consistent teams, everyone knows each other really well, and they know that resident really well. So that handover is a lot easier. And you know that those, that who you're handing over to know that resident really well as well, or that client really well as well. And you, you can go away knowing that it's going to be acted upon, that someone's going to keep an eye on it, someone's going to carry something through. That relieves a lot of job stress because, you know, we're asking staff to bring a lot more of themselves to work. We're asking them to really connect and bring their lives to work. You know, if they're comfortable, obviously we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, but if they're comfortable, we encourage them to share stories with residents, to talk about their family lives, to talk about the resident's life, to really connect with that person on a personal level. So there is a more emotional type connection that comes with that. And obviously, we need to make sure that we support our staff around that because when people die, then obviously you're going to feel greater levels of grief or sadness that you've, you've lost a friend. You haven't just lost someone that you were caring for. Acknowledging that. So self-care was actually a, a also part of the new skills that we were training staff around, training them around how to look after themselves so they're better self-care, acknowledging emotional needs, when to ask for help and how we could support them around some of those emotional needs. And that is, again, an area that we are constantly developing in. So that's a new area that we're doing a lot more work in around well-being and how we support the well-being of staff. And we're looking at this new platform together with Curtin University and University of Sydney, which is the smart platform, which looks at how, you know, what are the things that you need to ensure are in place to make sure that staff don't have too many emotional or physical burdens in their work. So again, that's like this new area of quite innovative work that we're doing around how you support well-being in the aged care workplace because if you don't have happy staff and if they're not experiencing well-being, they can't then support 
residents and clients in their well-being and being happy. So it's it's a real, as I said before, it's a partnership. It's not about someone does something to you work together. And so there has to be this reciprocal elements to that relationship as there are in any relationship. You do something for that person, that person acknowledges it and you work together to create that relationship and to create that connection and to deepen that bond. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you've said that are just great initiatives that you've been able to implement there. And I think anyone that works in the aged care space realizes, you know, how innovative some of these things are. A lot of these things that you're talking about are types of concepts that people are wanting to implement. But I think if you don't work in aged care, you might also be thinking, well, that sort of that stuff seems like what we should be doing, right? Like I kind of expect if I was in that. But what we need to understand is the system hasn't been working like that for a very long time. So people have got past experiences not working that way. The training sometimes that people are getting to equip them to go into these types of roles doesn't align. So you've really had to sort of push against an old system and, and really change some things so that you can get these types of amazing outcomes and stories you've been able to share with us. What did it take at Widen to get that commitment to really go down this route and operationalize this? Because like I said, there's lots of people who are trying to do this at the moment, but to do it and to make it actually happen, that's the challenge. No, you're right. It's very much a journey. It's not something you do overnight, as we have found. So <laughs> I think one of the key things is is support from the top. So our CEO is very committed to this. The whole of the management and leadership team are really committed to our relationship-based care approach, and we see this as part of our DNA. So without that commitment, it's very hard to get anything in place. And of course, We've built that commitment over time. So some of the problems and barriers we experienced at the beginning were down to that sort of the middle management layer who perhaps didn't feel that it was their job. We had pockets who were doing a fabulous job, but we didn't engage them enough. So the middle management weren't engaged enough and that caused all sorts of barriers. And we discovered that really quite quickly and went, oh, right, okay, it's got to be there. It's got to be their gig. Otherwise, you know, when I'm saying middle managers, I'm talking about the people managing the services. So if you don't engage them properly and make it theirs, then it's very difficult to get them on board. So that's one thing is management leadership and engaging them and making everyone feel that it's theirs. Because what you can't do is have it as something sitting outside that being imposed upon them. And there was a bit of that to begin with, and that didn't work. So we had to sort of really address how we did that. And now that we have a co-design approach. So the co-design approach with the managers and also with residents and clients. And we did start with that. And we sort of prioritized that in a way over co-design with our managers, was getting our residents and and clients involved, getting understanding from them what relationship-based care, a good relationship-based care would look like to them. Then we got working with care workers as well, and they talked about the issues, what they felt the issues might be, what would be the benefits. So that sort of co-design approach was very important, but also getting residents and clients to drive it. So we have the engagement with management is 
as I say, really important and, and gave us some barriers to begin with, not just co-design with residents and clients, but giving them the responsibility and saying, okay, yes, we're going to work with you on this and this is a partnership thing and these, these are all the things we're going to be doing, but we need you to, to push this as well, drive it as well. Keep on saying, look, I've got this idea. I'd really like to do this or whatever, because then we're much more likely to get momentum and, and for things to happen. So I think the co-design and engagement of residents and clients is really important. And then some real nuts and bolts things that we realized as we went through and, and failed in certain areas was because it wasn't integrated in our systems. So we had come in over and above with this whole new approach, which was really a culture change. It was a huge cultural shift. But we didn't, at the time, integrate it into our care systems, you know, our, our platforms. It just seemed like too big a job at the time. So we expected everyone to do this outside of the system. And all the care planning that went around it and the planning of rosters and the My Life Buddies wasn't really integrated in a way that it was easy for them to do. So we, we didn't do a good job on operationalizing it. We did a good job on getting everyone on board and understanding the concept, training staff and that co-design element with residents and, and clients. But we missed some of these really important aspects. So we've learned a lot and now we're, we're relaunching and we have spent a long time looking at how to integrate it into, into the systems properly and co-designed with the managers and, and all the different stakeholders, co-designed the operationalization of it and that will help us get to the next level. So what I would say and what we discovered along the way is that all of these types of approaches which are big system based, it's about changing and as, as you said, to people outside of aged care, this probably looks like stuff you'd be going, well, why, why weren't they doing this already? But it actually is a big cultural shift because we've moved from a task focus to a relationship focus. And that's, that's a big shift. And that task focus, that happened over a long period of time. So trying to change that and change everything that comes with that is a really big journey and it takes time and you're going to go through phases where things are not going to work so well and some things are, but you have to learn as you go along and you have to constantly change it and enhance it and make it right, make it right for the organization and for the care workers and for the clients and residents and making sure that it, it works for everyone. It's a journey that never ends, and I, I don't see our journey ever ending. You know, if people are interested in finding out more, they're very welcome to contact me or, or look a bit more on our website, although we don't actually talk about this journey on our website. But if they'd like to know more, they are more than welcome to contact us. We're always interested in trying to create a community of practice around relationship-based care. So I do have that, do have various other care providers contact me and ask about what we've done and compare that with what they've done and try and develop this. It would be great to have a community of practice around it because there's a lot. It involves a lot. And it's kind of at the foundation of what good care looks like and of how you innovate and how you introduce new practice. 
because you need those strong foundations to be able to do that. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing all of that with us. Anne, you've been very generous with your time and it's been really great to go behind the scenes at Widden and understand how you've been able to change the culture there and these amazing outcomes you've been able to get because you've been able to do that for your residents and for your clients. So we'll put a link through to your LinkedIn profile if that works for you so that people can reach out to you if they would like to you know, talk a bit more about this and build that community of practice. We'll also put a link through to the Widden website if people would like to also just get in contact with the organization and check out a little bit more about what you do. But yeah, once again, thanks for being so generous with your time and also your thoughts. I think anyone listening to this podcast would have got some really great ideas from how you've been able to sort of operationalize some of these concepts that are you know, quite innovative in the aged care space and you know, creating some great outcomes for the people that are, that are being supported by your organization. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the, the opportunity to talk. It's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.